A couple of notes before we start the podcast. I didn't know my audio dropped off a couple times during recording of this episode. So there's going to be a couple of moments where you hear audio kind of jammed together where it sounds like Rob's cutting me off or I'm cutting Rob off. That's not what took place. What actually happened was while editing it, I realized that you couldn't really understand what I was trying to, to get across or trying to ask. So I just kind of condensed it as much as I could. And it sounds like the audio just ran together, essentially, is what happened. So I apologize for that. Um, I'll do a better job next time. Again, thanks for listening. I apologize for the technical difficulties, and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Candor Podcast. Our guest today is Rob Wolf. Rob is a former research biochemist, a two-time New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Paleo Solution and Wired to Eat, both, both of which are in my library and co-founder of Element, or LMNT, which is an electrolyte supplement. So I wanted to have Rob on today uh, to talk about salt and its role in the body, why it's been demonized, how we got to this point where um, when you talk about salt, kind of like a lot of other things, like carbohydrates and other things, it's like a bad topic to talk about. Or, or at least people are like, well, I try not to eat too much salt and, you know, where, where that came from, why it's been uh, stigmatized. So, um, Rob, thank you so much for joining the show. Like I told you before we got on, I've been a huge follower of yours since 2009. Um, Rob played a key role in how I got into this, uh, I'll say paleo, but whole food, more of a whole foods diet and, uh, and help my wife um, change her entire lifestyle because as the listeners know, I've had her on the show talking about her Crohn's, you, uh, your, your, your books and your podcast, the research that you put out there played a huge role in why she's not on medication anymore. So, so Rob, welcome to the show, man. I appreciate it. Huge honor to be here. I will bring down property values anywhere. People are <laughs> foolish enough to let me on the show. So well, you're saying that about, you just, just wait, wait until let's <laughs> see if it's still an honor when we're finished. Um, nice. so Give give a little bit more detail of your background. Uh, I mentioned that you were you're a former biochemist, and maybe how that played a role into what you do now. Not only with Element, but your role in um, in nutrition. Sure, I, I turned fifty back in January, the beginning of January, and so my my Genesis story keeps getting longer winded and old man esque. Uh, so I'll try to keep it concise. But I, I've always been interested in health and human performance. I've always been tinkering with things. Both my parents, unfortunately, were pretty unhealthy. Like both, both of them smoked. My dad drank. Uh, they both had uh, a host of different issues. Both of them had type two diabetes. My mom had a huge interconnected cluster of autoimmune and gut issues that I didn't really understand until much later in the game. Um, but I, I suspected that better nutrition at a minimum and lifestyle would maybe afford some buffer against that stuff. And so I did an undergrad in biochemistry, was looking at doing either medical school or research track. And this was back around 1996, 1997. And I became really sick. I had ulcerative colitis so bad that I, I was facing either a, a bowel resection or you know, a lifetime of immunosuppressant drugs. I'm about 170 pounds right now. I'm five foot nine, 170 pounds. I got down to about 125, 130 pounds from malabsorption issues. So if you imagine, wow. if, I'm not a big dude, like imagine 50 pounds less of me because everything I ate just went out the same way it, it came in. And at the time I was eating a 
low fat vegan type diet. And I think that that, that approach may work for some folks under some circumstances. It was absolute kryptonite for me. And mm. it was around this time that this idea of a, a ancestral or paleo type diet got on my radar. Um, I was pretty desperate. So the idea of, of doing something that was kind of meat, meat heavy, meat inclusive, um, seemed ill-planned at the time, given my kind of vegan orientation, but I was like, I'm fucking dying. Like what, right. what have I got to lose here? And so I gave it a shot and it, it, you know, short stories that that definitely saved my life. And it was such a profound impact on me. It really got me looking at health through this kind of evolutionary biology lens, you know, thinking about health through the evolutionary landscape, but then definitely very clinically oriented and, and trying to pull in evidence-based stuff where you can, but mm -hmm. it influenced me in a way that I, I, I decided I didn't want to do conventional medicine because it was going to be a long road to just get to a spot where I would use almost nothing in my training in the way that I wanted to work with people, because I really believed that sleep and circadian biology, exercise, community, and food is the foundation of medicine. And that's what I wanted to do. And I, I had the good fortune not long after that, I was poking around online and I found this weird workout called CrossFit. And this was around 2000, 2001. And it looked kind of interesting. They had some uh, pretty cool links to, to some diet related stuff that I was interested in. And my buddy, Dave Warner, who's a retired Navy SEAL, he and I started doing some training together and we really enjoyed it. We converted the uh, garage of his house into a, a gym. And I don't know, it was like three or four months down the road that we had like 15 people training with us. And yeah. so we reached out to Greg and Lauren Glassman, the founders of CrossFit, and said, we want to open a gym. We want to call it CrossFit. Can we do that? They were like, yes, go be achieve. And the kind of crazy thing about that is that we, we were open as CrossFit North, which was the first CrossFit affiliate gym. And then I moved down to Chico, California to open the fourth CrossFit affiliate gym, CrossFit NorCal. We were open yeah. maybe like four or five years before we ever had an affiliate contract or anything. Like it was so yeah, it was kind of crazy, but the really cool thing about that is that really is the, the type of medicine that I want to practice. I, I, People come to the gym three to five days a week. I get an hour with them. I, I get to check in when, and see how they're doing. Um, they get their community there. We get to talk about sleep and movement. And, and you know, uh, uh, we talk about food. And uh, I just had this amazing opportunity to work with so many people from different walks of life. Like I was on the Naval Special Warfare Resiliency Committee for six years where I, I worked with the SEAL teams and the special boat teams and talk to them about all the same stuff. And that was awesome. I worked with some professional athletes, but like, like I mentioned before we started recording, the people that I'm really drawn to are folks, honestly, like myself. They've got complex gut and autoimmune issues. They've run the full gamut of, of modern medical interventions, and they're not, they're not healed. They're not well. They're not as well as what they want to be. And very early on, I suspected that something like this kind of lower carb paleo-ish type diet um, was a damn good spot to start people. It's usually not the end, but it, you know, you've got to pick somewhere to start. And, and uh, I, I would argue that I, I've maybe been more successful than anybody in the world at, at helping people with these complex gut autoimmune issues, metabolic syndrome, 
moved from relatively broken to, to pretty darn healthy and, and certainly changing their lives. And at a minimum, giving them a chance to do, just make a decision, like, is this change worth, is the juice worth the squeeze at the end of the day? You know, some people it's, it's like, well, I, I was sick, but I enjoy eating the way I ate and living the way I lived. And, and that's cool. That's fine. But sure. You know, like for my mom and for so many other people, they never knew that there was an option. You know, my mom died pretty young. My my wife's mother died at the age of 50 from rheumatoid arthritis complications. Oh, wow. They didn't know that there were, uh, you know, options around this. So my goal has just been to let people know that they've got options. And, you know, uh, uh, to the degree I'm usually able to get people to just try this, my greasy used car salesman pitches. Let's give it a shot for 30 days, see how yeah. you look, feel, and perform. Yeah. And then you can figure out where you want to go from there. And, and by and large, it's kind of like playing darts, like this basic kind of a, a moderate carb, minimally processed, paleo-ish type diet gets people 85% to the bullseye. And then we can, we can figure out, is that enough? Do we want to do more? Do we want to do less? But it, it's an amazing starting place to... Uh, to get folks going. And, and again, if people are really sick, if they've had ulcerative colitis or Crohn's or things like that, they're pretty fucking motivated because yeah. they're, they're, they're sick and they're in pain and they're suffering. And when you look at the, the long-term health consequences of things like that, it's not good. And so being given an option that is totally within one's control to, to do something about it is pretty powerful. Absolutely. And the 30 days, it's so interesting when you talk to somebody about doing something for 30 days, they look out and it's like, they look at the calendar view and they're like, Oh my God, you want me to do this for 30 days? And it's like, look, you've been doing what has been treat has been because what's gotten you in this position for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, you could do 30 days of anything. And if not, if you don't like you get two weeks in, guess what? Like you've only lost two weeks. You can go back to feeling like crap. That's, that's a, it's a harsh way to put it. But the reality is if you can, if you can get to that 30 days and then some people think like, well, 30 days to feel better. Am I going to feel better on click day 30? No, you might feel better in a week. You know, you might, you might, it may take you that time and 30 days is kind of arbitrary. It might take a little bit longer, but if you start chipping away at it, chipping away at it, you know, the starting point, is what you have to get to first. And yeah. it takes, it takes people a lot. I remember my wife would be, we, she was on that. Like I told you before, she was on $800 a month medication. And sometimes she'd still be lying on the couch. She couldn't, she couldn't sit up after having a meal, you know, a right. slice of, a slice of pizza, a re regular slice of pizza from, you know, name your chain restaurant might put her on the couch for the rest of the day. The next time she ate it, it wouldn't. And she's like, Oh, you know, like, Oh, what do I do? And right. we, we didn't know at the time. We had no idea. You go to your doctor, people go to the doctor. They want help. Her doctor told her that her changing her, this is not a joke. Her doctor told her that her changing her lifestyle, they couldn't tell her that that played a role in her not having uh, Crohn's symptoms anymore. Right. And they wouldn't say it multiple times. She went back. I'm not on medication. They kept recommending. We recommend you get on medication. She's like, I haven't had a flare up. I don't have flare ups. I, I'm not you know, not all, every single symptom goes away. She's, she still has like the remnants of, of damage in her, in her gut. Mm -hmm. But, um, so they see that and they think like, well, if you took medication, you wouldn't have this. And she's like, I'm telling you, like, I don't need it. I don't have flare-ups. I control everything on my diet. She, she's the person who brings, if we're going to a family event and she looks around and she's like, well, I've got backup food in my purse. 
you know, (laughs) and that's, I'm not going to call her extreme, but that's that you've got those kind of people. And you have the people who will say like, well, 95% of my waking hours, I'm going to be on it. But if I go out to eat, I'm going to let myself go a little bit. Great. You can survive that way. That's fantastic. But to not give yourself the chance is hugely disappointing. It's a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I have celiac disease. So like they're they're, with gluten, I'm sick for five days afterwards. So it's, it's like, yeah, pizza tastes great, but you know what? There's gluten-free pizza. And also, you know, pizza is awesome, but, um, pooing my brains out for five days and, and not being able to like focus my eyes. Cause I get a bunch of neurological symptoms off of yeah. it too. It's just not worth it, you know? And so for me, there's gluten-free beer, there's gluten-free, right. you know, every day. But it's not and, real and, yeah. beer and pizza, Rob. That's not real. All right. Relax. And, and, <laughs> and that is the most first world of first world <laughs> problems, you know, yes. like, uh, yeah. uh Get, get, thank God that that is the most difficult choice that we get yeah. to decide is whether oh. I have gluten-free or not oh, pizza God. here, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, well, good, good. So that's, that's kind of, that's even more deeper into your background. Um, well, curtailing off of that, um, going to your doctor issue and because you are the co-founder of element, which is an electrolyte supplement primarily based around salt. When I tell people that, because I, I, I enjoy it, I, I give it to my clients. Um, my wife, my wife enjoys it quite a bit. Well, the first thing they see is sodium, a thousand milligrams of sodium and people's eyes kind of bug out. And uh, then it's talking them off the ledge and, and discussing the, discussing the importance of sodium, the role it plays in the body. Um, but, you know, I'm just, I'm just a personal trainer. I'm, I'm, I'm a strength coach. I, you know, what do I know? So Rob, can you, can you explain to us what is sodium? What role does it play in the body? And then why has it been demonized? Sure, sure. That's a really good tee up because I oftentimes neglect, I, I usually jump right to the, why is it demonized? And then kind of neglect to mention that it, it, it's a vital nutrient. Uh, yep. You know, if you don't consume sodium for a long enough period of time, you will die. Um, it, it took me a while to realize this, but uh, literally every muscle contraction nerve impulse in the body is driven by sodium potassium pumps. Like life literally is sodium potassium, an expression of sodium potassium pumps in our body. People usually from high school biology or something to remember like the Krebs cycle or the TCA cycle or something like that. And where we make ATP and that whole thing is facilitated by the body pushing a a, a little more sodium outside of cells and a little more potassium inside of cells to create a gradient so that when those things try to equilibrate, try to, try to come to a a equal balance that we generate energy off that. And this is where all of our action potentials for nerve impulses, muscle contractions, this is where it all comes from. Uh, I, I was noodling on this too. And I was trying to think of what are the most tightly regulated physiological parameters in the body. And, Mm. you know, like blood glue, like if somebody ended up going into an emergency room unconscious, a a doctor would look at blood sugar, electrolytes, and pH. And the blood sugar is interesting because like if somebody's in a diabetic, you know, uh, uh, hypoglycemic state, that's important, but it's worth mentioning that we can live and function at a shocking range of blood sugar levels. You know, like it can be yeah. relatively low to relatively high, higher levels can be bad. Lower levels can be bad, but you're still alive. Um, if pH changes just a tiny bit, you're dead. 
If electrolytes change just a tiny little bit, you're dead. So it's very unforgiving. And, and on the road to, you know, on electrolytes in particular, um, every year there's like uh, a, a certain number of people, an unfortunate number of people who do endurance ath athletics, uh, the longer usually the more challenging this is, yep. who just consume purely water. They're sweating during activity, which when we sweat, we, we excrete almost exclusively sodium, very little uh, potassium or magnesium. We, we mainly excrete sodium. So our body's store of sodium is decreasing and we end up in this state called hyponatremia and yep. people die. People end up hospitalized or they can die. A very unfortunate, uh, you know, like a sorority and fraternity hazing where people are forced to like drink huge amounts of water and, and uh, people will die from that. Um, so we need sodium, but there's also this sense that sodium is problematic from like a health and cardiovascular disease perspective. And that, that orientation isn't misguided. Um, hypertension is a really big deal in right. the modern world, uh, elevated blood pressure. And I think it actually has kind of gone out of vogue as to how really important it is because uh, some blood pressure management drugs have been developed. And I think it gave both doctors and patients this um, false sense of security. We now have like 20 or 30 years of data on people who are on blood pressure medications. It helps, but it doesn't fix the whole problem. It's not right. the same as having normal blood pressure. Right. There's still lots of problems. It, it, high blood pressure causes damage to the, the vascular beds, the arterial uh, beds. And it's worth mentioning when people develop atherosclerotic placking in their, their, uh, their arteries, it's only the arteries that we get placking. We don't develop placking in the veins, the, the less pressurized side of our system. So there's clearly something to like non-laminar flow. Like if you think about um, water going, going down like a creek, if it's flowing very uniformly, there's not a lot of turbulence. But if it starts hitting rocks and stuff like that, there's a lot of turbulence and eddies. That turbulence in our vascular beds causes damage, and that's where we can get vascular placking and, and problems with that. And there's definitely a sweet spot on our, our blood pressure. We don't want it too little. Uh, we don't want our blood pressure too low. If our blood pressure is too low, people could go from seated to standing and they can pass out. There's yeah. a condition called POTS that, that, that can occur. And then if our blood pressure is too high, the, the, we are absolutely causing damage to our vascular bed to the, the arteries in our brain and we're causing kidney damage, like with every heartbeat. And there's a correlation between sodium and blood pressure. But as we've learned over time, correlation isn't always causation. Right. So the body increases blood volume and therefore blood pressure by retaining sodium. So the, the simplistic first order view is if we limit sodium, then we will decrease blood pressure but it doesn't work that way. The cause of, hyper, of hypertension is more driven from elevated insulin levels. And where this becomes problematic, and we learned about this, is that people with high blood pressure were put on low sodium diets, but their blood pressure doesn't really go down. It goes down a little bit, but I mean, it's really unimpressive. And the reason for that is that over the long haul, if we eat little or no sodium, we, we can still access sodium and it comes out of our bones. And mm. what's weird about that is when we pull sodium out of the bones, we also pull calcium out of the bones. 
So osteoporosis and osteopenia also track with low sodium diets and low sodium diets don't create a low blood pressure environment. Like, and this has been established again and again. Um, there are certain people about 1% of the population are sodium sensitive hyper responders. If they consume a significant amount of sodium, they will see a, a transient pretty significant increase in their blood pressure. But these same people don't really see a decrease in blood average blood pressure with a low or no sodium diet. Wow. And this is what's so perplexing. Clearly sodium is a player in the story, but the driver is elevated insulin levels that cause us to release a hormone called aldosterone and aldosterone causes us to retain sodium. And it will cause us to retain either sodium out of the diet or sodium that is being leached out of our own bones. And this is why a low sodium diet doesn't really solve things for us. And for maybe 10% of people, a low sodium diet, when we start leaching sodium out of the bones, that is a stress. The body recognizes that as a stress. And then the body causes a whole other compensatory process of elevating cortisol and epinephrine to further try to retain sodium so there's about 10% of people who have hypertension from low sodium intake. Wow. When you increase the sodium intake in these folks, their blood pressure actually normalizes. And so this is again, one of these things where it's not just a, a linear one-to-one, -one, you know, relationship in this whole story. And if you, if you talk to a doctor who remembers their physiology reasonably well, they'd be like, okay, yeah, there's situations where low sodium causes a problem. There's situations where low sodium doesn't fix the problem. And then there's situations where increased sodium worsens the problem. And yeah. so we've got a bunch of different uh, moving parts there. But one thing that's fairly uniform is that if we get people eating a minimally processed whole food diet, such that they're not overeating and their insulin resistance decreases, they become more insulin sensitive, just about to a person, their blood pressure normalizes. So if they have high blood pressure, their blood pressure will go down. Um, Low-carb diets are even more effective at doing this because the lower the insulin levels right. that folks have, then the more profound is the decrease in the release of insulin and aldosterone and the retention of sodium. To the And this is called the naturesis of fasting. Like if we fast people, that's the most profound way to decrease insulin levels. There, you know, it's recognized in the medical literature that if you fast people, their blood pressure will, will decrease. Um, Low-carb diets produce a very similar kind of effect. And this is where in the low carb diet circles, um, people can suffer a lot of different health problems from inadequate sodium levels. And I would say that you see this just in people who generally eat a minimally processed diet, because in the United States in particular, people get the bulk of their sodium from eating processed foods. Yeah. And they tend to overeat when they eat processed foods. So if sure. people start eating any type of a minimally processed diet, their sodium intake dramatically decreases, their insulin decreases. So their tendency to retain sodium decreases. And so when people are eating better, you really could make a solid case that they need to supplement sodium. And this is regardless of whether they're paleo or vegan or what have you, if people are eating a minimally processed diet yeah. and they're not insulin resistant, they're not overweight, then they probably need to supplement with sodium to be able to get themselves back up to a, a baseline. And then one, one final piece in this is that there have been some really fascinating population-based studies where they look at the amount of sodium that people are consuming 
and rates of, of morbidity and mortality, sickness and, and death. And there's kind of a U-curve. And what we find is that people who are consuming two grams or less of, of sodium have very high rates of morbidity and mortality. Once you get down to about five to six grams of sodium per day is the lowest all-cause mortality. And we see this with all kinds of things like vitamin D, vitamin A, Mm -hmm. Most things in biology have a, a U-curve where too little is a problem. There's kind of an optimized level and then too much becomes a problem too. But what's interesting is the, the U-curve is flat on the too much side. So you have to get out to eight to 10 grams of sodium per day to have the same rates of morbidity and mortality as what we see at two grams of insulin okay. per day. Yeah. Yeah. And again, this is within general population. There's one final thing that I'll throw in here and then I'll, I'll shut up. Within uh, athletic populations, the American Council of Sports Medicine recognizes that active individuals, particularly if they are in hot or humid environments, but just kind of high motor individuals, likely need at least seven to 10 grams of sodium per day. Now, we're being recommended to consume fewer than two grams of sodium per day. And so this is where people, particularly in athletic circles, are trying to eat a healthy diet. They're eating low sodium. They feel like garbage. They may even end up hypertensive because sure. they're pulling sodium out of their bones. And, and they're what just they hammering really, themselves. Yeah, yeah. And um, a lot of things that, that look like adrenal fatigue and overreaching, overtraining, sleep disturbances are identical to the symptoms of low sodium in, intake. Like in, the depression in and all like severe, yeah. okay, wow. Yeah, high heart rate, yep. uh, poor, poor recovery, uh, decreased heart rate variability scores, uh, but definitely disturbed sleep being one of the, yeah. the big, yeah. Wow. That's... Well, no, that was a massive amount to unpack. But it, <laughs> you know, if folks were to take away something there, it's sodium is absolutely a player in blood pressure, but it's not the simplistic like cartoon thing that we're told that like, if you consume too much sodium, then your blood pressure goes up, you, you know, uh, unequivocally, that is absolutely not the case. There are some people that their blood pressure does go up in response to sodium. And interestingly, those same people, those sodium sensitive hyper responders, their blood pressure doesn't really go down that much yeah. with massive sodium restriction. They need to, to alter the way that they eat so that their insulin levels are lower. And then there's all these other kind of strata that go, that go into that. Well, and you've hit, you hit on a lot of my other questions too, uh, right in perfect timing. You don't think about when you're trying to decrease, um, well, the, the sodium intake piece that you that you'd mentioned that your body goes through like that stress, almost like it missing that adaptation response. It's just a, a, a high, a high stress yeah. response. Yeah. 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 There's no adaptation Absolutely. spectrum to it. It, it, it. Yeah. You could argue that it's not really adaptive at all. Yeah. 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 So that, that's just, that's just interesting um, how all of it, all of it links together. And so you, you did hit on the ranges of what, uh, what is acceptable and what is recommended so let's, let's go into then if someone is, cause you mentioned uh, just general population athletic performance, then that seven to 10 grams a day. So let's say the person is eating on a, a healthy diet and they're, let's just talk about, let's talk about that. I, I think a little salt bit. quality is just bullshit. Personally. Okay. Like that's, I, that was I, my it, next. It, it, people it, it, and people hate me for this, but, um, and they'll talk about like trace minerals and this and that, um, but they don't, I won't even go down that road. It, it, it what you want out of your salt is sodium. And okay. the, the mythology around all these like trace, some of those trace minerals are arsenic and lead. 
So just as an aside, you know, and okay. I'm not, and and this is true of all of our food system, but it, it's um, if you like, I like different types of salt because they have different flavors. Okay. But from a performance standpoint, and like if a better flavor encourages you to use more so that you stay ahead of maintaining your, your sodium intake, that's fantastic. But I think that is absolute, um, bunk and mythology. And I I could have made more money being a spokesperson (laughs) for the salt companies that really are like, our our salt has all of these minerals. And it just, the, the science is, is really dubious on, on that. Yes, it has some stuff, but it's trace, trace, amounts and and not all of them are fantastic so it, it, okay. it's like kind of a, a mixed bag on that um and, and then, again the it, people who sell salt that's like 50 dollars well, a pound are gonna hate me for saying that but what i what i say in response to that is show me a a gcms a gas chromatic gas mass spectrometer profile of one gram of your salt versus one gram of like white deodorized decolorized table salt yeah. And show me the difference in amount and, and what is it that's in yours that's not in the other one? And what are the amounts and what are the physiological ramifications of that? And and uh, I've thrown this out there. What I need to do is like a $10,000 challenge around this, like show me and, and show me how, it, you know, a $100,000 challenge thing and um, kind just of keep crazy. Going $200,000. Just crazy jujitsu style, you know, but, <laughs> but it's like, if you're going to make that claim, then back it up. And I, okay. I, I just... There is nothing, I, I am a chemist. I've done this stuff. Like they, there's just not a massive difference there. Um, if people talk about the nutritional difference between pasture dairy versus conventional dairy, it's massive. Okay. Like the amount of vitamins, essential fats that, that come out of pasture dairy versus conventional dairy, massive difference, but I can fucking quantify that. And, I, and it's something real. And we agree on, you know, like, a whole formed animal product, vitamin A is really important, very difficult to produce and very difficult to uh, absorb any other way than in that form. And uh, pasture dairy has got a bunch of it. Conventional dairy has almost none. And so, you know, there are some really good benchmarks of, of what reality constitutes in that thing. Whereas in the salt and mineral world, it's kind of like, eh, it doesn't have a bunch of magnesium. Okay. It doesn't have a bunch of like germanium or selenium or any of these other kind of, you know, interesting trace minerals for the most part. It, it has absolutely tiny trace minerals of some of these things. And again, like depending on, on how it's mined, a good number of salts are blast mined. So they use explosives to, to blast mine them. Not all of okay. them do that, but in explosive have heavy metals in them. So you're, you're getting, you know, strontium and different things like that. So I I just, the, the interesting thing that we've been able to do around element is I don't have to sell any mythology around it. It tastes really good and it's convenient. That's it. We started the whole company with a free downloadable guide that taught people how to mix their own. And we still have that. So we never created any mythology around bullshit, uh, you know, related to like magical minerals or a proprietary salt form or anything like that. We have a, a salt that we get from upstate New York that is mined. So it's not blast or, uh, you know, harvested. So it, okay. uh, uh, heavy metal contamination is absolutely minimal. And we are working to have a uh, an interface on our website so that every time somebody gets a box, they will be able to put in the lot number and That's see cool. the certificate of you know uh, authentication 
where we go through triple redundant testing, you know exactly what is in there. So that's, that, cool. that's what we're, we're working towards to, to get with that. So it's fully transparent. And we still have this whole thing that if you want to make your own, if you want to use your, your special Himalayan salt and make your own thing, then we still have all the recipes for doing that. But we, I insisted that we, even if we failed, I will not go down this road of selling people a mythological story about magical salt that is from the tears of right. Tibetan monks, you know, and, and it, that is somehow magic or, or different. Getting adequate sodium and electrolytes is magic, but you can get that from a host of different okay. ways. Just eating enough pickles and olives will tick that box. You don't even have to use element. If you eat salami, pickles, and olives at every single meal or sauerkraut, really salty foods at every single meal, you don't need to supplement with it because you'll be getting adequate levels there, but not right. everybody eats really salty, you know, concentrated salty foods like that. So, yeah. But I will say that <clears throat> the blast mind salt, that sounds like a great origin story for a Marvel comic hero. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay, good. All right. So then in that frame of reference, you're, let's let's uh, open the scope up to athletics, uh, in particular like strength training, since that's kind of the world that I'm living in. Is there an element to to timing for sodium? Does mm -hmm. it matter um, pre workout, during the workout, post workout? What does that look like? Yeah, and you know Stan Epperding is a, an yep. interesting guy, very well known strength athlete, and uh, not low carb but has made both a, a scientific and a clinical case around the efficacy of, of sodium loading around training. And uh, the preload, you know, within 20 minutes of training seems to enhance a pump. It enhances neurological drive because we function via sodium potassium pumps. Like a, 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 some of the first things that happen when we start heading into a low sodium situation is you get lethargic and brain fogged and fatigued. Like it, a lot of what I had attributed early in my life as being like kind of hypoglycemic, low blood sugar stuff. I'm looking mm -hmm. back now and I'm like, oh, I was inadequate sodium with a, a lot of this. And so, you know, that is important. And it kind of depends on what type of activity you're doing. If you're doing, whether you're doing um, strength work or aerobic work, having adequate blood volume makes your heart pump more efficiently right. because if you are hypovolemic, if you're low blood volume, the, the heart doesn't preload. Like it, if the heart, if our vascular system has the right volume in it, each time the heart beats, it's kind of like when you're bouncing on a trampoline, like part of the, the, the cool feature of a trampoline is once you get it going, you're storing energy from one bounce to the other and you don't have to try as hard to, to keep going. And when we, we contain uh, adequate blood volume and the heart starts moving, that left ventricle will preload and it actually stretches and then snaps back. And so mm -hmm. you're, you're getting contractile forces or you're getting ejection forces that are not specifically from muscle contraction. It's from elastic rebound, which is very, very efficient. So that's good, whether you're aerobic based or, or strength based, because, you know, it enhances okay. recovery and all that type of stuff. And then on the backside, um, it sounds kind of crazy and self-serving, but again, people can get sodium from any source they want. Uh, 
I'm almost becoming of the opinion that like overtraining is is a, a just a symptom of inadequate sodium intake, and and that I'm I'm stretching that clearly. Like you do CrossFit games, you do a bunch of jujitsu or combatives or something like that, and you you clearly can overtrain. But I've been so flummoxed by how much better people recover when their sodium is on point. So like that okay. post period. So like if I do a really hard jujitsu session and I'm still feeling kind of off, I'll either eat some salty food or, or do like an, an element. And I just keep doing that until I, I feel better, honestly, yeah. and I'll hit some point where I feel better. And what's interesting is when I hit that, I, I neurologically feel better. I'm calmer. Um, my heart rate variability scores are better for that day. My sleep is better. So it's like everything just kind of falls into place. So we've got that pre-workout piece, a pre and peri-workout piece where you are more focused, you have better heart contractility, you have better muscle contractility. Um, you, you've, you've got, you know, maintaining energy. So our, our whole energy system is driven by sodium potassium pumps. So right. adequate sodium and potassium is, is the route to, to, um, liberating energy. And then on the post side of it, which can stretch out for hours or even days, if our, our sodium and electrolyte levels are in appropriate, you know, kind of parameters, then our recovery occurs faster, which means you can get back into the fight sooner and, you know, yep. do, do things train quicker. harder, yeah. faster, train yeah. harder, more frequently. Yeah. 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 There's, and let's be, let's be clear about something like it takes a, just because you're feeling lethargic after a workout. I mean, doesn't mean you're being overtrained. It takes a lot to be overtrained. Um, for those who are out there thinking like, Oh my gosh, I'm overtrained. No, you're probably, probably not overtrained, but, but realize that maybe, you know, the salt will, also help along with the protein, the right amount of carbohydrates, things like that post-workout. So that's, right. that's good to know. And I'm glad you brought up the, the cardio piece also. Um, cause I do have, there's quite a bit of runners out there who, you know, if you're, they're packing along, um, Gatorades and all those other kind of drinks, which actually leads us into, um, another question. Now, one of the big main things, especially this is specifically about element is there is no sugar. And mm-hmm. if you look at other, other types of drinks, there are, there is sugar. Why, why the option for no sugar? What's, what's going on in that area? So a, a couple of things. So, I mean, we were kind of born initially in this kind of keto low carb space. And so we definitely were catering to that as kind of our center of the, the bullseye thing. And now I'm going to say something that makes me sound like a dick, but I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to say it anyway. Okay. Um, I actually understand a, a, physiology at a decent level and particularly digestive physiology. This is something that, that hardly anybody spends any time thinking about, but I have all kinds, I have dealt with gut issues my whole whole adult life and the people I work with uh, deal with gut issues. So I actually think about things nutritionally from the lips to the, to the sphincter, you know, in the interface at the gut. And, and so, um, there is a, a process called oral rehydration therapy, where um, particularly in really severe life-threatening scenarios like cholera, where people are losing electrolytes and water at a massive clip, then adding some so- uh, sodium plus water, or excuse me, sodium plus sugar, enhances the the uptake of, of both of them. Right. And this is one of the 
areas of focus of some of these diabetic drugs, the uh, SGLT1 inhibitors, the sodium glucose transport molecules that happen in the gut, like they're, they're trying to inhibit the absorption of sugar out of the gut by blocking the, the uptake of, of sodium. And so you could actually flip it around and say that without sodium, you can't absorb glucose out of, out of the digestive tract, which is actually a little bit more accurate. But if you do a little bit of digging, you will discover that butyrate, which is made from the fermentation of fiber, will facilitate the uptake of electrolytes. Beta-hydroxybutyrate, which is the ketone body that is produced during ketosis, and it uh, uh, translocates from the circulation into the gut, uh, it enhances the or facilitates the uptake of sodium. Um, amino acids it, it facilitate the uptake of sodium. Fatty acids it, it facilitate the uptake of sodium. If we had must to, if we had to have glucose or a sugar in our gut to absorb electrolytes, then people who are put on a medically supervised fast would be incapable of absorbing electrolytes, but that's not the way it works. So there are absolutely situations in which glucose in, in particular is of benefit for, uh, you know, enhancing electrolyte uh, uptake. There are definitely situations where adding glucose or, or other carbohydrates would be beneficial for, from like an athletic perspective. But even in that story, if you buy a prepackaged stick, you know, it's like, does it have five grams of glucose? Does it have 10? And who and when is that appropriate for it? Do I have a six foot two male? Do I have a mm, five foot okay. one female? Um, do I have a strength athlete? Do I have somebody who's doing jujitsu? If they're doing jujitsu, is it drilling with at a really modest pace or is it, uh, you know, competition paced with a five minute rounds, 30 second rest. And so I hate these, like one, you don't need the glucose to absorb the, the sodium and, and electrolytes. It can facilitate it under some circumstances, like it can enhance it a little bit, but it, it, it's not the, uh, the only way to do it. And then I just hate this, like one size fits all glucose thing, you know? It, uh, so what we recommend to folks is if you need or want glucose, either get glucose tablets or buy some dextrose powder, which is right. glucose and then dose it as per your needs. So like you, you do some elements, you do a stick pack of element, and maybe you do 10, 10 grams of, of glucose per, per liter with that. And I know that there were some questions around osmolality. Yeah. Um, osmolality only has to, 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 and it's kind of funny if, if you have glucose in a, a solution with that, you're increasing the osmolality. So usually there's concern around, you know, being hypertonic, it being more concentrated than what uh, fluids are in the body. And then it can draw fluids out of the body into the gut. And there can be some problems with that. It, the, the dosing that we recommend in that like uh, 20 to 24, 26 uh, uh, ounces of water per, per stick pack, put you right in that isotonic solution range, like a little above, a little below, but it, it, it's okay. right in the, the ballpark there. And then if you go 32 ounces, then it's hypotonic. And that's actually where I drink it mo most of the time. Cause I enjoy the, the flavor there. And then there are applications where you would want it to be hypertonic to, to uh, facilitate, you know, there's just uh, different situations where you would want to do that. So um, I like the custom ability of being able to adjust either the fluid that you add 
to, to your electrolytes. Yeah. And I really like the ability to adjust the glucose or the sugars based off of your needs. So like if I, I, I will yeah. mix up two bottles when I go to jujitsu and, um, during my drilling, I sip on the one that doesn't have any glucose in it, or maybe I'll do like five grams in it. And then I've got another one that has 20 grams of, of glucose in about a, a liter. And if I'm going to stay for all one hour of open mat, I'll drink about a half of this, like right at the end of regular class. And then I'll start doing open mat. And then when I'm about a third of the way through open mat, I'll go finish the rest of it. Okay. And that motors me right through, but there's, it would be impossible for me. Or, or if I, um, if it's a bunch of like old beat up has-beens like me, it's not a bunch of, you know, fire breathing monsters. I may not have any glucose in that because I know I'm just going to do a very cardio based, you know, easy roll. And then I don't need the glucose under that circumstance. So I just detest this note. One, it's inaccurate to say that you have to have sugar to absorb the electrolytes. That is absolutely incorrect. And I, I've written several blogs about this and pulled the evidence-based uh, literature to support that. And then the okay. other piece of this, I really don't enjoy this one size fits all thing where it's like, well, 10 grams of glucose for you, whether you're a big male or a small female, super active, inactive. I don't like that. What we know for sure is needed is the electrolytes and in the approximate ratios that we're, we're providing for people. Like that's a fairly uniform thing. And people modify that based off of how many of them they use throughout the day. But okay. then as to the glucose side, it's like, are you a ketogenic athlete? Are you a non-ketogenic athlete? Are you in a, a you know, an aerobic base building block where you don't really want glucose, but you do want electrolytes. And so that's the reason why we do that so that people can customize that and make it specific to their needs. And it sounds like the biggest difference is just how quickly it's getting into the bloodstream, right? Yeah. And I mean, even the, the kinetics on that, it, I, I haven't Kinda. seen great kinetics to, to compare, like if okay. you're, it, 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 it Again, the, the, the situation where you really, really win is again, like that um, cholera where the person is just like blowing fluids and electrolytes out of them. Literally. Gotcha. And, okay. Yeah. And okay. we have to stay ahead of that. But then beyond that, I mean, it, we have to, so you're going to, you're, I think you had a friend that said, well, the, the electrolytes are just going to sit in the gut. No, they don't. They get, they get absorbed. If they didn't, then we would have diarrhea because we would pull fluid out of the body to, to balance the, the amount. And, and this is part of the problem of like an overly concentrated protein powder shake is that people will get diarrhea from it because it's overly concentrated going in. It pulls fluid out of the body to dilute it in the gut. And then you end up actually with disaster pants on the, the backside. So um, if you're not blowing things out the back end, then we know that you're absorbing it because yeah. that, that's the only way that it, it's going to go out that way. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, good. Well, thank you for the clarification. So that's well, and I like the, the tablets because even more than this, because this can just be my, my electrolyte. And then like, let's say I start rolling and it looks like an easy day. And then I've got my glucose tablet separate. And then people have shown up late to class and I'm like, oh shit, there's 10 people just showed up and they're all like 20 year old wrestlers. I can go over to my gym bag and grab the glucose tablets that are five grams each. And I start chomping That's... on those and swig them down. So it's just so damn easy to customize it. And I can customize it on the fly versus like, well, everything I packed is 
It's right here. It, you know, it's right here. It's done. And it, it just makes it so easy to customize that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not everybody's. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it's okay. No, I, I was just going to ask about how much, how much would you recommend for like a hard training day, um, adding glucose to, to something like that, that like five gram tab would be just enough. Usually no. Um, I, but it, again, it's going to depend. Like my wife okay. is a lot smaller than I am and she might be like yeah. five to 10 grams per half hour. Okay. Gotcha. Like that. Because it's, um, it's, it goes pretty quickly, right? It goes pretty quick. If, if yeah. you really turn it over, you know, like a CrossFit games type athlete, I, I, 20 grams per half hour in a, in a solution like that, I, I think would be pretty, pretty reasonable. Yeah. Okay, and this perfect. is where you have to play with it a little bit, but again, it's like six foot four male versus yeah. five foot two female. This is where so many of these recommendations is like, give me a break. You know, it, it, even, even the electrolyte recommendations, we've done work with uh, uh, people in uh, professional hockey those guys aren't huge, but they're usually 200 plus pounds. Mm -hmm. They will lose 10 grand, 10 pounds of water and 10 grams of sodium during a hard practice or a game. Wow. And, and that's 20 teaspoons of wow. salt. Yeah. Okay. And, and you've got to, and if you don't replace that, then you sleep like shit and you recover like shit and you feel horrible and you're not ready for the next day. And the dietary recommendations that they're getting from their registered dietitian is two grams of sodium. Yeah. So they're eight grams short, you know, and, and so, but those guys are, even though they're playing on ice, they're wearing gear that is really hot. It's kind of like doing jujitsu in the game. Right like away. They're yep. always hot, you know? So, so those guys probably disproportionately sweat. Like they're probably worse in many ways than rugby. Like I, I, I haven't seen specific numbers on rugby, but depending, but then in rugby, you may be playing outdoors and it's a hot, humid environment. Humidity, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, a hot, humid environment is going to double or triple electrolyte and, and hydration needs versus a cooler, lower uh, uh, humidity environment. And this is where like the, you know, we have guidelines, we have benchmarks, and then you yeah. have to get really specific about where you, you go from there. And this is where I, I get um, prickly about these one size fits all solutions. Like it tells me that the person didn't sit down didn't really do their, their research on this stuff. And they're really unsophisticated. And it, it's better than doing nothing. You know, like if you've got something that's got some dextrose and it's underpowered in, in uh, sodium and whatnot, it's better than nothing, but it, 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 you know, you would be better off making this stuff at home and understanding what you're doing versus like buying this off the counter thing. That's trying to be all things to all people. And then it doesn't really tick the boxes at all or not particularly well. Um, when we're finished up here, can you send me some of those links that you've, that you've worked on? Or can I, where can people find some of those links that you, that you've, so, that you've, so uh, folks go the to uh, drinkelement.com. Um, you can find I, the I got blog. That. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, we have, uh, a science section that, so the blog just has a, a ton of different material in there. And like, you can search it for like fasting or athletics or, or different topics like that. Um, Okay. Perfect. What, perfect. And then it just in our science section, I kind of break down what we talked about early on, like what is it that drives hypertension? Why is hypertension important? And then what are the, the kind of bracketed lower and upper bounds that I think are very evidence based within the literature. Okay, great, great. I'll link, I'll link all that in the show notes, everybody. Um, Rob, this was awesome. 
And I, I really appreciate you coming on. Lots of good information here. If people want to reach out to you, find out more, have questions, where's a good place to find you? Uh, Robwolf.com is kind of where, where, you know, my hub for things. My wife and I do a podcast called the Healthy Rebellion Radio. Yeah. And that's kind of the main uh, output I have. I spun up a Substack, um, and it's just robwolf.substack.com. Uh, oh, uh, I have uh, abandoned social media. Like it is broadcast only. I post things on Substack and broadcast out. I don't, I, I'm not, I, I, I'm close to just turning them all off because Good I'm luck. kind of at a point where I, I don't, I'm kind of annoyed that these companies are using me to learn about me and then using that against me. And I'm kind of at a, at a point where I'm like, if I need to become a mechanic or a, a you know, a, a work as a ranch hand or something, I prefer doing that versus like sticking my neck in a noose with the, uh, the tech companies. But that currently that is where you can track down. <laughs> what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Good. Yeah. I, I feel the same way about that. And I, I, uh, I remember, uh, and I know you've talked a lot about that. And for people who, who haven't checked it out, please do check out Healthy Rebellion Radio. I will, I'll link that also. Um, but that's a whole other, um, that is a community that you and your yep. wife have built, right? So that's, we didn't get to talk about that, but. We, we have the uh, the podcast that just goes out and then we have the Healthy Rebellion community that is, is yeah, yeah, we're, we're folks. We do three times a year resets and we mm -hmm. talk about resilience and regenerative ag and, and just kind of world events and everything. It's just a, uh, a, a social hub where people can talk about these things without the algorithms of social media, you know, pitting us against each other. So, yeah. 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 I'll link all that too. That's an awesome organization also. But I remember one day I was, this is about five, six months ago. Now it has to be. Um, I was walking through the middle of the gym to my next appointment at 9.30. It was on a Wednesday. I remember the client and I was looking at my phone, walking towards him. And I was, I was like typing a response on Twitter to somebody. And I was pissed and I knew I was right. And I, I stopped and I was like, what the hell am I doing? And I deleted the tweet. I didn't even send it, but I deleted the text. And I just deleted Instagram, Twitter, Facebook yeah. off of my right then LinkedIn, all of it. And so when these podcasts go out, I do post them on social media, but I use Buffer. Mm. And at the very bottom of Buffer, I even put whatever it's, I don't know, I even copy and paste it, but it's something like this post has been automated by Buffer, you know, comments, likes, replies will not be responded. Like I don't check. Right. <laughs> I'm right. Just like it's out there, I think. And, you know, Buffer will tell me if it doesn't go through and if I have to mess with it, I will, but I, that's it. That's brilliant, man. I mean, that's really uh, yeah. that's brilliant. And I, I suspect your quality of life just oh. shockingly improved. So, well, just yeah. the fact that like, I remember, I remember sitting up, you know, in, with my daughter playing and here I am every once in a while, like flipping right. through Instagram, I put it back down. Okay. Let's play a game. Cool. Cool. Four, four minutes later. I'm like, I wonder if somebody replied and I'm like, what am I doing now? It's just right. like, you know, not that I still don't use my, my devices still for, for other things and for business and yada, yada, but man, it's not the incessant, like just scroll Your phone watching is and pretty, moving and I, I when I, I took all social media off my phone maybe three years ago four years ago wow and and uh and then subsequently like I've closed this thing closed that thing and I only interface via which really sucks doing anything on the desktop with with Instagram they make it hurt like yeah, you gross. have to get this kind of work around and it, it really hurts but it's, it's like, like fine I I just won't do anything on there but um I realize that my phone is super boring 
it's like I checked, I would check the weather just to, to try to get the little dopamine hit. And that only lasted maybe a month where it's like, okay, the I, oh, okay, it's sunny <laughs> outside. You know? But um, I would check the weather, I do whatever, you know, yeah. and, and uh, just trying to get that same dopamine hit. And then it was like, oh, okay, I don't need it for that. And so I maybe look at my phone like three times a day now. You know? That's awesome. Like, anyway, this is a whole other podcast we're getting into. Yeah. So Rob, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I hope people do reach out to you. Thanks for all you do. And we'll talk to you very, very soon. Awesome, man. Thank you.